Hello, I am Joel McLeod. And I'm Roland Tanner. And welcome to the 905er. Two weeks ago, when Hamas terrorists killed 1,300 Israeli citizens and took over 100 hostages, the world watched in terror. This situation is ongoing and changing every day, but our thoughts go out to those affected by the attack. Now, we aren't going to be going into detail on the attack or Israel's response. That is out of our expertise of coverage. What is, though, is local politicians' responses to that attack, namely that of Hamilton Center MPP Sarah Jama. We've talked about Ms. Jama's outspoken views on the Israel-Palestinian issue in the past on this podcast. When she ran in the Hamilton Center by-election, it became an issue. This time, however, those views have proven to be more controversial than anticipated for the rookie MPP. After issuing a public statement on the attack in which she highlighted the conditions of Palestinians in Gaza and the West Bank, she was criticized for failing to highlight the actions of Hamas in killing 1,300 Israeli citizens. This failure to address the matter at hand brought widespread condemnation from various Jewish organizations, the Ontario Liberal Party and Green Party of Ontario, as well as an order from her party leader, Merritt Stiles, to issue a retraction and apology for her statement. As of this recording, the statement still remains on her Twitter account. Doug Ford and the Ontario PC government have used the controversy to throw the opposition off track. The Ontario NDP were no longer accusing the government of misdeeds in the ongoing Greenbelt scandal, but were rather defending themselves against the actions of one of their own. Using Sarah Jamas' statement, the Ontario PC government has repeatedly accused the opposition of being anti-Semitic and siding with Hamas. However, Doug Ford has taken the politicking to a new level. This week, the Ontario government censured Sarah Jama in the legislature, taking away her ability to speak as the representative of Hamilton Centre at Queen's Park. This gross overstep of power by Doug Ford and the Ontario PC Party is what we want to focus on in this episode. For that purpose, we have invited back to the podcast Joey Coleman of thepublicrecord.ca. Joey is a longtime friend of the pod and has written an opinion piece on his website outlining why he believes the Ontario PC government is abusing their power by stripping Ms. Jama of her ability to represent the people of Hamilton Centre in the legislature, and that the true power to condemn or condone Ms. Jama's statement lies with the people of Hamilton Centre themselves. We have a link to the piece in our show notes. It should be noted, though, at the time of this recording, Sarah Jama was still a member of the Ontario NDP caucus. The Monday before we launched this episode, Merritt Stiles had announced that Ms. Jama would no longer be sitting as an Ontario NDP member. Thank you uh, once again for Joey Coleman to come on to the 905er. Uh, I think this is your third time on the podcast, third or fourth. Uh, We'll have to check the archives (laughs) for that. But thank you, Joey, for coming on to uh talk hamilton slash provincial politics uh with uh uh for today thank you joey for for taking the time pleasure to be here you gentlemen have been uh 
producing some great episodes in the last few months. I'm a regular listener. So, you know, Thank regular you. listener, you. not first time caller. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the reason that we wanted to have you on was you wrote a very, we thought a very excellent uh, opinion piece on your website, thepublicrecord.ca concerning Hamilton Center's MPP, Sarah Jama. Uh, we're not going to get into the nitty gritty, but to give our listeners a bit of a, a, a refresher, as everyone knows, Israel and, and Palestine are once again in conflict and there are horrendous ac- actions uh, by Hamas uh, previously. Sarah Jama uh, took to Twitter to issue a statement that many interpreted as being pro-Palestine in its uh, in its content to the point that the conservative party, uh, the progressive conservative party has jumped on that as a, as a theme now at, in the legislature. Uh, it, going so far as uh, accusing Sarah Jama of endorsing the rape and murder of Israeli uh, uh, citizens. To that end, uh, without getting too complicated, it's culminated in the fact that the conservatives are now threatening to ask the speaker to not recognize Ms. Jama when she enters the chamber uh, in her duties as an MPP for Hamilton Center. Joey, you wrote an excellent uh, op-ed piece. I'm not going to paraphrase you since you're right here. Why don't, why don't you just tell our listeners what your your point was with the, with the piece, please? Well, simple. the simplest explanation is it's not the place of the government to judge Sarah Jama's speech. That is the role of the voters of Hamilton Center. And it's an inappropriate use of government power to attempt to silence her. And for the conservatives who wrap themselves in free expression when it's convenient to them to now do this undermines the principle of free expression. You can have an opinion on Ms. Jamba's statement. She's a politician. That's the nature of politics. People have opinions. The conservatives can issue the statements that they have, uh, some of which um Ms. Jamba plans to take them to court over, is threatening to take them to court over. So we're in the politics of that. And it's fine for the Conservative Party to make whatever statements it wishes to have. It is not appropriate for the Conservative government to use governmental power and governmental authority to silence a duly elected member of the Legislative Assembly. And again, in Canada, we don't have absolute free expression. Uh, Randy Hillier is the example where we have had a member of provincial parliament not recognized before. The key there was that all the parties agreed not to recognize him. There was unanimous agreement of the House. There is not unanimous agreement here. This is politics. This is theater. Um, And it's gone too far. Uh, You know, we can definitely discuss the fact that, you know, for the conservatives, uh, as many of my colleagues that are working at Queen's Park have stated are this is the political distraction they want from the green belt issue. And so they're doing that. And for the NDP, this is a challenging matter where the NDP leader asked a member of her caucus to do something. And that member has not taken down the post like the leader asked. And so this is a distraction for the NDP from what they want to be talking about as well, because mm-hmm. members of the press gallery are rightfully asking the questions of what's going on here. Why have you as leader not able to lead your party in this manner? 
and that gets to another level of politics. But my primary uh, statement and interest in this is related to the principle of free expression, that Ms. Jama is duly elected. She represents the people of Hamilton Center, and she does so with a voice in provincial parliament that she uses as she sees fit. And in 2026, the voters of Hamilton East get to decide upon that. I really uh, liked your article because um, as I tend to like articles that managed to say in a very articulate way exactly what I was thinking, <laughs> that, that may be, you know, confirmation bias or whatever. But I felt it was when I saw what, what the PCs were doing, I kind of couldn't quite believe it. Um, I couldn't believe my own eyes because regardless of what I happen to think, and I, you can read my Twitter account, I don't post very much on Twitter these days, but the one thing I did post was that I thought uh, Sarah Jama's uh, statement was was disgraceful in how it, you know, well, let's not go into it, but I, I, you know, I have sympathy with all kinds of people in the, in the Middle East crisis, and I felt that that, that statement was, was all kinds of out of line. But there's a massive, massive difference between saying, I strongly dislike what that person has just said and saying that they that a duly elected member of a legislature in a democracy should be silenced um, by the government, not just by, by, I mean, like you say, in an extreme case, perhaps where you've got unanimity of, of MPPs, um, uh, as in the, the Hillier case, perhaps then... Um, you know, there, there's there's a, a way in which it can be done. But for a, a one political party to say, we we don't agree with you, therefore we're going to, in effect, take away your 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 job as an MPP, I felt was, was, was truly disgraceful. And I kind of was disappointed in how little prominence this has actually received in, say, the Toronto Star um, or the other... Uh, sort of major newspapers it's like surely this is something that journalists should jump all over the minute they see it uh is that kind of does that sort of tally with any, any of your opinions joey um as somebody who has worked for national publications who has been at queen's park covering a specific beat so not covering queen's park but covering higher education and regularly at queen's park scrumming related to that um I get why this is a news story. Um, you've got to fill the, the news hole and you've got to put words between ads. Um, and this is actually a legitimate political story. You have the leader of the official opposition instructing a member of her caucus to take direction and that member not taking it. This also has the potential of developing into a longer story arc and one of the challenges is in journalism is that if you're not giving people the story as it's developing, it becomes very hard for you to go back and explain how we got where we were without being able to go, here's the story of that. And there's many ways that this could go for the NDP. And remember that we also cover the opposition as government in waiting. The idea of the opposition having opposition critics is to say, this person could become the minister of education. This person could become the Minister of Community Services. And if the government in waiting is severely divided in this manner, that's news. Um, and then it's dominating question period. Uh, and there's it has to be reminded that there's journalists out there doing the beat coverage, still covering the Green Belt, 
covering transportation, covering Metrolinks. So I don't do not fault the members of the press gallery for covering a ongoing political drama I, that's potentially I, going to court. I, I absolutely think they should cover it. That that wasn't what I was suggesting. I was suggesting that they they I was surprised how little coverage the issue of a a an executive, a, a government wishing to silence a duly elected uh politician um unilaterally um not with cross-party support but unilaterally i felt that crossed all manner of lines and that as that that the media should be um as you were um you know very vocal about how that crosses lines because you know I may disagree with something with, and I do disagree with with um, what Ms. Jama said, um, uh, and I think it needed a much more fulsome apology than the one she gave. But you know, I will defend to the to my last breath her right as a duly elected MPP to sit in the legislature and and to speak um, uh, uh, as as that MPP. Um, so th that was kind of the point I, I was getting at there. That that you know, uh, not that I think that this shouldn't be covered. I'd, I'd like to see more of how extraordinary it is for for a government to suggest well, that an MPP be silenced. If I, if I could just jump in there, I, I don't, I don't think this is out of the norm of this government. We have seen this government use the, the notwithstanding clause for, I would argue, relatively minor minor. Things such as the reorganization of Toronto City Council, and uh, in, in one of the first acts that Doug Ford did when he took office. So this isn't outside of that line of behavior, in my in my humble opinion. This is kind of in line with let's use a sledgehammer when maybe a scalpel or a bit more, bit more finesse is should be applied. That being said, I I do wonder. Or maybe we're just we're now onto the fact that Ms. Jama is looking to take legal action against uh, Doug Ford, uh, as she's declared. I don't think she might. In the last check, nothing has actually been filed, but she has threatened to to sue uh, Doug Ford for libel action. Is this just, is this just a case with this story is moving so fast that it's hard for journalists just to keep up and kind of take a breath, and say, "Where are we?" In this. Um, I'll go with two. I'll go with two paths on this. One, um, it is moving quickly, um, and we do not have the number of Queens Park columnists that we used to have. Mm. Uh, so that's the first part. The second part is is that uh, when the means of publications were limited, uh, the thinkers, the people who are tweeting, used to have to submit an op-ed to the newspaper. So when you opened your newspaper in the nineteen nineties you would have four or five columns every day of smart people. And one or two of those would be taking the viewpoint along the lines of where I was going. So those viewpoints are being expressed on Twitter, on blogs, on Substack. Um, but we don't really have a curation that we used to have with the physical newspaper. And uh, so that's the two paths I would go on it. The, Story is going to continue. If there's a legal filing, you'll see analysis pieces discussing the merits of the case. Um, and do recall that the premier made the comments that Ms. Jama is threatening liable over outside of the legislative assembly. And quickly, 
you know, if I was to start outlining an analysis of that, um, which hopefully your listeners will find interesting, remember that Ontario has some of the strongest protections for political expression in North America. The uh, Ontario Courts Act SLAP section, Strategic Lawsuit Against Public Participation. Um, it would be fascinating to see the courts have to decide SLAP between two politicians. Um, and it's, it's I, I mean, I would have to see your statement of claim. I would have to spend right. more time thinking about it. But you're going to see more of that. And this is why right now the assignment editors are saying to their reporters at Queens Park, follow the JAMA issue because it's new news. Yeah. The Green Belt still important news, but it's old news right well, now. Well, let's, let's kind of, that's kind of what I want to take a look at if we can, is that for a while in Ontario news, the Green Belt, uh, and bring in specifically here to 905, recently there was talk uh, in Hamilton of exactly the White Belt uh, opening of, of land, how that was working out. Now it's starting to get uh, a, a, a light shone on that as well. Then the 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 attack by Hamas in, in Israel happened and pretty much everything in the news world focused on the Middle East, uh, as is the case. Now, and my take is I don't give a hoot what a the Hamilton Center MPP thinks about the Middle East at the provincial level. It is just that is not the the person I'm turning to to figure like I need a nuanced approach to this. It's just not that that's not the that's why we have a division of powers. I'm questioning from a political standpoint, is Merritt Styles kind of losing the the plot on this? She was she was hammering Doug Ford on Greenbelt issues, environmental protections, land deals, and whatnot. And within one week, we've lost that that plot. We've she is now on the defensive. She's got to deal with Sarah Drama's behavior. As you said, the legal proceedings might have a whole new different dynamic to this story to the point where you say, can she get it back and start hammering Doug Ford again on the issues of the Green Belt, which was really kind of her, she was starting to shine as leader of the of the opposition in, on that file. Um, so for the NDP, uh, I'll, I'll talk about NDP governments in a three-party system. Um, which is what we have. We have three primary parties. We have the Green Party with the seat in the House, but they're not yet competing for government. Um, so, and I do not want to diminish the Green Party's merits, but we are still at a three-party system. It's an interesting challenge that the NDP has in these three-party systems. Um, Bob Ray wrote about this in his memoirs. Um, Graham Steele, who was the Minister of Finance in the first Nova Scotia NDP government, wrote about this in his political memoir, that the NDP in a three-party system has two factions. They have a very vocal activist faction, which is the smaller of the two, and then they have the traditional union social democrat wing of the party which tends to end up electing the leader the leader tends to come from there and it's a challenging coalition for the ndp to keep together and so you have sarah jam who comes from that strong activist on the ground wing of the party and the leader styles who comes from 
that traditional union social democrat side and the tension that's at that occurs between them and the challenge that the ndp has when they're governing is that they tend to be criticized the government from the left and we're seeing that dynamic occurring right now um where a strong set of the ndp activist wing is very vocal about issues very engaged and very willing to challenge their leader very publicly. Uh, we saw that at the Federal Leadership Convention this last weekend in Hamilton. And so, yes, for Styles, she's now having that NDP tension playing out in a public arena. And that's what people focus on. That's what we're talking about right now, because mm -hmm. that is front and center. And we'll see where that goes. Um, I don't know how the... Um, sorry, uh... I don't know how the NDP reconciles that. Uh, if people want to read Mr. Ray's book and Mr. Steele's book, you can. They can. They go much further into this in a much more elaborate and informed way than I can. It reminds me a little bit of of um, the parallels with the British Labour Party uh, are, are are notable in that that similar tension between the social democratic wing, which is the only wing that's ever formed government over there. Uh, uh, rightly or wrongly or fortunately or unfortunately or otherwise it's just a fact uh and that the radical socialist um uh, um side and you know i i sort of appreciate the 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 sort of division in my own feelings i've we've spoken john and i've spoken on this podcast multiple times about you know wishing that mpps were more free to to express their own opinions um at, at less tied to the party whips and yet when an MPP clearly shows that they could care less about or couldn't care less about um, the party whip or the, the instructions of their leader, uh, and it's just going to do what they want to do, um, I'm immediately, oh, this is terrible. You know, this this undermines the leader is clearly weak. The leader needs to do something about it. They can't be undermined in this way. I, I, I'm not sure how we're ever going to square that circle when when. The people who talk about the news, such as myself, want to have a cake and eat it too. Uh, very often, with with this kind of situation, it, how, I mean, what what I mean, I, probably not the sort of area you want to go into expressing opinion on. But I mean, do do you think Marit Styles should have taken a firmer line on this and saying, "Look, I said you have to apologize, you have to retract." And instead, you've just pinned it to the top of your Twitter account um, with, with a kind of semi-apology. Uh, is that good enough? Um, for, from the point of view of the leader, is that good enough? Well, so the leader chose to say that she expected her member to apologize and retract. The leader created that part of the dynamic. And so for me, as somebody who is analyzing that, I go, okay, so the the leader said that she laid down that is her line, directing a member of her caucus who has decided not to do that. And Miss um, Stiles has got herself in a dilemma because she tried to enforce a discipline the member decided not to, and we're now at an impasse. And that begs the question of, well, what does she do? And she's got to make a choice here um she did have the option to for example take a less 
uh, less definitive direction to her member. She had the option to say what she's saying now, which is the member understands the federal NDP position. The party's position provincially is the same as the NDP, and we understand where our member is coming from on this issue. But that's not what Stiles said initially. And that's where Stiles framed the debate of her leadership on this matter. And that's where the media has been asking her questions is, is this good enough? And the pinning the tweet to the profile gave the media new, well, it gave everybody the new question of, oh, this is continuing. It was still news. Well, the... I was, I was going to say it's going to be problematic down the road for the NDP, uh, just from an, an impartial analyst point of view, I suppose, in that the, what they want to get back to is hammering Doug Ford on the Greenbelt scandal. The, as more details of that keep coming to light, it's going to be uh, a bigger bigger and bigger story. For a while, Merritt Stiles was leading the charge on that and for to great acclaim and, and trust for her benefit politically. If she loses that, because now she has to deal with Sarah Jama, uh, disciplining her essentially in public, as you said, she's kind of made this a front page story almost. Um, the question is who now takes up the Greenbelt charge? We know that there are many activist groups out there who are pushing for more more dirt. There's journalists uh, such as the Narwhal, uh, which kind of broke the story. They, they're not going to let that go. We know that for sure. And I would argue that the Liberal Party, the Ontario Liberal Party is going to have a leadership convention in a couple of weeks. And they'll decide a new leader. And I imagine whoever he or she might be uh, is going to be bringing this to the front. And the last thing you want is to give this as a as an issue for the liberals to hammer Doug Ford on and take and take charge of that anger in uh, in Ontario. Um, and that's just the, the that's the the way I see it. I don't I don't see it. That's how I see the next few months playing out. And it's all the NDPs making. Yeah, it's, it's hard to say what, where our politics goes in a few weeks. Um, at the end of the day, political parties need to be talking about the issues that matter to a large swath of voters and that they can put a coalition together upon because the goal of a political party is to enact policy that's aligned with the party. And in order to do that, you have to be in government or in a supply and confidence agreement in a minority government. And so... The NDP is all the parties are going to have to be talking about issues that are going to matter in 2026. And uh, I make a heck of a lot more money if I had a crystal ball, you know, as a journalist, <laughs> of course, I'm always trying to figure out what are the issues that are coming because I need to be prepared. Um, what I will say is that uh, and we're going to we're starting to see this in our federal politics. It always comes back to bread and butter issues and what people experience each and every day. And the Greenbelt scandal will continue because there is the RCMP investigation. Environmental defense and eco-justice have numerous court cases going on and in continuing discovery in those. There will be some developer who decides to sue the, the sorry, some developer who decides to sue the provincial government for their lost unearned profits, um, which will keep the scandal going. The opposition parties need to determine how to keep that issue and the government on its back heels, but also how to present themselves as a government is in waiting. And turning to what Roland had said earlier, 
um, I think the public is mature enough to have a party where there's diverse uh, a diverse set of ideas, diverse in the sense of many ideas, um, and that there's members who speak their mind. Um, that the question for people becomes, is this a government that's able to move things forward? And that's the challenge for the leader, is that the leader is seen to have miscalculated because her statement has now created new legs to this matter. Mm-hmm. And you're both correct where we discussed the NDP would want to be talking about the government and why Ontarians should not have confidence in this government, in their opinion. And instead, they're talking about an internal caucus matter that is playing out in public. Yeah, uh, I see that we're coming up on our, our time here. Uh, Joy, I know you have uh, another errand to to get to, so I do not want to be the reason that you are late. Um, so uh, I'm going to say let's wrap it up there for, for this episode. I, I imagine the story is not going to be going away quietly anytime soon, so we'll see how that unfolds. Joy, thank you very much for coming on and, and having a chat today. Thank you, guys. Keep up the good work. That's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. out of this life and optimize your personal wellness then check out the natural man podcast join me host mike c as we explore all areas of human wellness physical mental and emotional learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health remember your doctor works for you learn biohacks neurohacks ways to improve sleep and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com.